back. Hello, everybody. Welcome to At The Hive Live, part of the SB Nation Network of Podcasts. I'm Chase. I'm here with my co-host, James. As always, we're here with a little bit of an emergency addition to the beginning of this podcast. We have the rest of our finale episode of At The Hive Live coming up, but probably 12 to 16 hours after we finished recording that original uh, season recap episode, which you guys are going to hear in a moment. James Borrego was dismissed as head coach of the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, Mitch Kupchak announced it, made a statement from the team Twitter account and social media and all that. A few hours after Adrian Wojnarowski broke the news on Twitter. Uh, Borrego was 138 and 163 in four seasons with Charlotte. And uh, he is now ousted after two consecutive plan blowout losses. James, what was your immediate reaction? I know you were, I know you were on the road, uh, when this came out so i was i was on the road literally in traffic next to stonehenge which i don't know if you've heard of stonehenge oh yeah so. oh yeah that's yeah, yeah. that's really funny this is a very funny image now <laughs> with, yeah. you, with you freaking out with like a very scenic background yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah we were literally driving past stonehenge in traffic and it was actually <laughs> your message chase i was i i would have been a uh, passenger and i would just on my phone and i just saw you message me i can't remember exactly what your message said it was just like you know, wow. I think I said, oh my God, this happened a day late because we had recorded yeah. our podcast. The day and then before. I was like, what, like what, what's this news? And I clicked in it. And apparently this is what Jess said. Jess was driving. I just sat there and I just went, wow. Wow. And apparently I just sat there for 30 seconds. And Jess is like, what's wrong? What's happening? And I was going, yeah, She wow. thought like, like, a, like a family member got hurt or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, they fired Borrego. And Jess was like, even Jess, because like, you know, Jess picks up bits and everything. She, she right. was like, haven't you just had a good season? And I was like, well, yeah. Okay. Um, so we thought, so we thought. So, well, so we thought. So you, you you tipped me off. I did a little emergency video in the car, which was, uh, I, I had to do that like four or five times because we started going and the phone fell forward off the dashboard. <laughs> There's, there'd be a very good list of outtakes for that uh, that video. But um, James Bregler out as head coach. Um. What can I say? I mean, I literally recorded a, a video the other week where I think I said it's almost guaranteed. I think I used that word that Borrego would get at least the start of one more year. Yeah, I, I've always said that he would start next year under the cosh, under a little bit of pressure. Like if things were going off to a rough start, he'd be in trouble. But I always thought, you know, over the period, over the pandemic, going through the rebuild, that he'd kind of earned a little bit of rope and he was going to be afforded the chance with one more season of roster changes. You know, he's never really had probably Mason Plum has been his best big man. I think we say that every year, depending on whichever big one it is, but they've all been terrible. Let's just assume like yeah. that happened. Um, yeah. I, I always felt like you can't judge him until you give him a proper big and you have to do that this off season. And then you have next season to judge him. Once you've got a, a real center that allows you not to play gimmick defense. Um, Mitch Kupchak, Michael Jordan, both of them, one of them, who knows, felt differently. James Brogo out. I'm, I'm completely shocked. Um, and I will hold my hand up here. There are a lot of people over the season saying they need to fire Brogo, they should fire Brogo. Whether they sh- should or not, we're going to find out. But for those saying that they, they will if they miss the playing, you were right. And I was wrong because I, I never thought that was the case. And I think a lot of people who followed the Hornets were probably on the same page as me, but I'm more than happy to stick my hands up. I was completely wrong. And um, that's something I need to review myself because I maybe, I, yeah, job is never as safe as you maybe think it is. What, what were your reactions? How did you find out? Were you near any historical uh, magical sites when you found out? 
No, I was not near one of the the seven wonders of the world when 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 James Borrego was fired. Uh, b- believe it or not, but I was at the grocery store, uh, the the Hannaford down the street from me. Um, I was just sitting in the parking lot and I like felt the vibration on my phone because I have what was just tweet notifications turned on, and I saw and I had a pretty similar reaction to you. Um, except I was just like sitting in the grocery store parking a lot by myself. But and then I went home and kind of collected myself and. My initial reaction was um, that this definitely seemed like a Michael Jordan move, which is what uh, Shams Charania of The Athletic reported in like one of their little breakdown videos after he uh, got fired, like probably a couple hours after the news came out. But uh, that was actually like not refuted, but uh, he, Rod Boone and his, uh, yeah. his the Charlotte Observer kind of countered that and said that it was actually Mitch who kind of made the final decision to move in another direction and uh, like r- let him go or dismiss him because they, they didn't use fired in like any of these like press releases or like leaks or anything like that which makes me think that it was like uh not not entirely hostile like james they they at least explained the direction that they were trying to go and emberego was like yeah that makes sense maybe i'm not the guy or something like that uh and moved on because what one thing i don't think he's going to be employed for very long there's a team that he coached for and won a championship with over in san antonio their current head coach is getting a little old he just won the most games of all time uh, he doesn't really have anything left to prove to anyone. Could Borrego just slide right in right there after being an assistant there for so long? Who knows? Maybe maybe that was why uh, this was such an maybe not not a firing. Uh, it was a dismissal or a relieving of his duties. Oh, I, I see. So, so you, you see, think, you, that, you think that, was, that was where my mind went like instantly. Wow. Like Because I, I immediately I've thought not heard that. anyone else with that I was, like, slant on it. Well, because he's not he's he's a good coach. Like he's not like the the fire Borrego people you're right. Like they ultimately were right. Uh, like whether or not it was like for uh, just reasoning or for so, like a non-emotional reason, like they, they were correct. But I mean, it, maybe there's, there's something in, in the works that would be fascinating. Because, he, because he's not so, so bad of a coach. Like the Hornets were a good team. They won 43 games this year. They just weren't good defensively. Uh, and they got blown out in the play. Like they, he has some positives as a coach. So I could definitely see him not remaining unemployed for very long. If he ends up in San Antonio as head coach because Pop retires like later mm-hmm. in the summer, there, the seed the seed started here on on at the Hive Live. It Remember started that. here. You you called that. I, yeah. I've not heard that. That's that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think it's probably what likely. Looking at how the front office seems to work from from my experiences, I think Kupchak and MJ probably came to an agreement with both of them. Yeah. I don't think MJ has overreached Kupchak and said no, I'm firing him. I don't think Kupchak has fired him without telling Jordan. Not in a million years. They will have had a meeting, they will have had a discussion, and they will have landed on that place. Maybe one felt stronger than the other, perhaps. But, you know, I, we've, we've gone over it now. We've had a few days to digest the information. If, like you said before we start this podcast, you could probably find a reason to fire 20 coaches in the league, like head coaches every, every flight. If you wanted to go through what they've done since being hired, you could come up with a list of things and go, no, you could, you could fire them. But most times, organizations don't want to go through change. They want to build that institutional knowledge. RIP James Borrego's quote. That's what he always used to say. (laughs) Um, They they want to build that. They don't want to disrupt things. You always hear about players when this coaching changes, how it makes it difficult for them. And you kind of, a lot of time, it's last react. Like your last option is to, okay, we got to fire the coach. I didn't feel we're at that point with Charlotte that it was, okay, we, we have to do this now. Like, like Rod Boone, he spoke to League Source, said shocked. Another responded saying crazy. 
there was no real pressure within NBA circles. There were from maybe some Hornets fans. I get that. But in terms of the NBA circles, I don't think people sitting there thinking, yeah, he's got to be out this season. So they've, I think this is a very proactive, aggressive move to make, to make this. Um, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating. I mean, there's so much to unpack here. I don't know how long this emergency side of the podcast is going to last, but there's, there's a lot to discuss. Yeah, it's, de- it's definitely a proactive move. And I, I'm, I think Mitch has kind of, he's made a few proactive moves already. And I mean, I, you could argue that signing Hayward, Rozier, the extension for Rozier, all those, th- I mean, he signed Borrego to an extension already before Nine the day had even fired. Yeah, which, which makes me believe like, not only was it mutual, but M- Michael Jordan definitely was like completely behind this to pay the buyout for, the, for that contract after they just signed an extension uh, to let him go. Because I mean, it's not like the, the Hornets are a team that's just dumping money into, into their, you know, players and coaching staff like a year in and year out. So, I mean, it was definitely something that the organization felt was the right time for. But do you do you think that it was just the the play and losses and the, the defense, uh, which he had never ranked higher than 20th in in points per possession uh, over his tenure as the Hornets? Um, yeah, meaning they were a, a bottom third defense every single year. Or do you think that the, the exit interviews kind of played a role because uh, Ubre and Harrell, expressed a little or expressed a little bit of dis- displeasure with their roles in their exit interviews. And, you know, the, it, it didn't seem like he was on his way out until the players in front office had their meetings. And then it was kind of within a few days he was gone. I know. So with the, with the players, the one thing I will say is people are being like, Oh, Buck Knight and Kai Jones have been wanting him to get five. <laughs> right. I, I'm not so, sure that they have that much pull within the organization quite yet. They don't. Well. And also like, tell me an NBA player who's not in the rotation who doesn't want a coaching change. Right, like, yeah. Oubre, minutes were down, probably on career average. Harold, minutes were down on career average. Both of them are used to playing a bigger role, okay? Whether they should or not, I mean, I, I think there was maybe a reason for maybe some more Harold. I don't think there was a reason for, for more Oubre from what we saw. Um, but they're always, like, people are just always going to complain. So I, I don't I don't buy that like Harold and Oubre got Brago fired. <laughs> no. I'm pretty sure it's down to your long-signed veterans, Terry Rozier, Miles Bridges. I know he's not long-signed yet, but hopefully will be soon. Lamelle Ball. What they say will carry real mm-hmm. weight. And I do think there is absolutely something that none of the players jumped to Brago's defense. There were no posts saying, oh, no, my coach, uh, thank you for everything you've done for me, blah, blah, blah. There was silence. Um, from the Hornets players mostly on social media. Some people tried to pick up, just before this podcast, PJ Washington tweeted, I've never been this happy. And I thought, oh God, like... He's in, gonna, he, he is in Puerto Rico with his family exactly. right now. So that's that's why he is Ex- saying those things. Ex- but people <laughs> are going to take that and be like, yeah, PJ's happy with five yeah. I, Like, if I, been... if I was on a nice vacation in Puerto Rico right now, the weather there is probably beautiful. I would be this never as happy as I've been in my life if I was there right now too. Exactly. So the silence, though, says it all for me. Um, oh, yeah. You know, when there's when guys have got fired before unexpectedly, you've had players kind of come out and be like, what are they doing? And there was there was absolutely nothing. Um, so I, I do think there's an element of players not feeling like Borrego can install a defensive system, which will see them through. Like you said, the last four years of Borrego, 20th, 20th, 27th and 23rd on defense. That's just not good enough. And you can say, oh, well, they didn't have the personnel. And But you look at a couple of examples from last year. Last season, Minnesota ranked 27th on defense. Cleveland ranked 26th. 
This year, Minnesota up to 13th, Cleveland up to 6th. Like, yes, I know Cleveland acquired Jarrett Allen for the whole season, drafted Evan Mobley, but there was still a style shift there. Minnesota, you had Chris Finch come in, completely revamp the defense with D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, and Carl Towns. They are not defensive stalwarts. You know, it is the same core, really, that was playing last season, but they made that big jump defensively. The Hornets never did that. So I, I definitely think the, the lack of def- ability to get through now in year four, even with this institutional knowledge, this the same coaching staff, you know, you've been able to mold and build these draftees into whatever players you want. None of them have really improved on that defensive end to become plus defenders. You know, Cody Martin, McDaniels, probably the two. But in terms of your core players, haven't really made that jump. So I definitely think that's part of it. We've already talked about a little bit, the, the player feedback. The playing losses, I think, maybe has less to do with it. But I think maybe what that highlights is in big situations, Borrego's adjustments haven't really ever worked in those high-stakes games. You know, he started Mason Plumley. Yes, I know he didn't, for example, go and uh, start Mason Plumley in the second half in that latest playing game. But I feel like some of the more forward-thinking coaches would never have stopped like Mason Plumley in the first place. Like they would have looked to downstairs, st- looked to downsize from minute one. You, you heard him say before the playing game, like we're not completely changing what we did. We're going to go in with the same game plan that we had in the, the last Hawks game. And I kind of thought, well, it did work, right? Trey Young had nine right. points. They struggled. But like at the same time, Atlanta will have looked exactly what you did and they will make adjustments. And now you've got to make adjustments. And I kind of, it kind of felt like he was just like, we've got to go in and execute our game plan, which is the same as before. And I think you heard it after the game, Miles Bridges said, and I remember this really specifically, he said, uh, Lamelo or Miles Bridges said this, I can remember the quote, which was, they, you've got to give their coach credit. They made some really good adjustments. You know, we were showing on the, the pick and roll and instead of diving to the rim, they kind of stopped short. And then they were able to pick apart our defense. And that, you've got to give their coach credit, came up a couple of times from both Lamelo and Miles to give that team credit. <clears throat> and I think those are, you know, they the players felt there, they were outcoached and outprepared in that game. And they will have made that known in their exit interviews. Yeah, um, I, I my personal biggest reason for why I think that this happened, which, will, it, it, I mean, it'll probably become clear in the coming, you know, days, weeks, months, whatever, as to why this happened and who that they replace him with uh, and the, sty- the style of coach that they are will also probably give us some clues as to why. But I think it's, it, I, it would definitely had to do with the exit interviews. I think that if, if LaMelo and Miles told the front office that they were bought into Borrego, that he would have stayed. And if they didn't tell them that, then he was gone. I, so I, I feel and we like said that, that in February. Yeah. When we were going through this downspell, we said – they will not remove Borrego unless the, he loses the players. We, yeah. we said this months ago. You can go back and listen to what we said. And let, if he loses the players, then he's going to be gone. Because once you lose the locker room, it's... it's that's it. It, do, that's it doesn't it. matter how good your season was if the, if the players are just done listening to you. You know, And that I, clearly, I, I think that that had to be what had happened. Because I don't think... I mean, sure, maybe maybe Michael Jordan himself would have made a reactionary play and loss move, but I don't think Mitch would nothing else that he has made or no other move that he has made is like a, isn't a stark reaction to one single thing that has happened so far. So this is definitely something that was brewing. I think split this up as a pie. Okay. hundred percent. If you split that into three in terms of defense, uh, playing losses, 
and losing the players as to why he was fired. How would you, how would you look to split that? Probably 60. Um, just like player review at the end of the season, just kind of being like, we're ready to move on or we're ready to have a new leader. And then probably 20 to 20, the defense and the, the play and losses. Cause I mean, Mitch, Mitch has to know that he didn't give him what he needed to, to build a solid defense year in and year out. Yeah. And well, you're, you're right that other coaches have schemed good defenses without it, but he has to know that it's not fully on Borrego that they're not, you know, cause it's not like they're the worst defense in the league. The last two years they've been, 20th out of 30 which isn't good but there there are 10 teams below them so i mean if they had a a rim protector that was like seven feet tall instead of having it be pj who's six seven like maybe it's a little different but i mean i i still i agree with you that there he definitely could have done more on that end i think than he, i mean he and did it okay with it last year but this year he really didn't what break will point to work. is the the team was 12th in defense i think since you'll stop right like i think so which I understand that. But one thing I will say is after all the star break, you do get those teams, you shut it down. You know, you have those, yeah. like you always get some weird runs after the all-star break and then you come back the next year and they never seem to quite count for, for as much. And just, just what you said on, on cup check, like he must know we didn't give him everything he needed. Like he said twice in the last two seasons, end of season press conference, we're ahead of schedule. And you have to give the coach credit for that. And to say that we're ahead of schedule, ahead of schedule, and that coming into this season, even Mitch was like, you know, it's not playoffs or busts. We have to carefully manage the, the future and now. Um, he was trying to limit the expectations to then, you know, get rid of Borrego after finishing, what, a game, two games from seventh. And I know it's 10th, but I just... Yeah, a historically I really hope strong they... record for a 10 seed, which, you know, I'm sure, yeah. again, Mitch knows that too, you know, like it's not... Absolutely. And that's why I think it, it just has to come down to the players. So so in that, in that pie chart, I'd probably say something like, yeah, like 75% yeah. what the players said, 20% defense, and then like 5% for those playing games. I, I just have a hard time taking those two game sample size and saying, yeah, we need a new coach. Like when you've got 200 games of him coaching uh, other things. So yeah, Borrego is gone. Um, I, I will say, like, I really enjoyed, and I said this about Steve Clifford as well, like, Borrego, even though he's gone now, I still think his time as Charlotte was a success. I, like, hands hands down success. I think he'll Agreed. get another job, like, maybe Spurs, or I was thinking maybe the Kings or the Pacers, if they move on from Rick Carlisle, it might not be what he signed up for, a rebuilding project. Um, I think, no doubt, a success. And I got a lot of respect for what him and his staff did here, which is an interesting discussion, right? What happens to his staff? Dutch Gately, Marlon Garnett, only joined this year from the Hawks. Um, Jay Hernandez, big play development guy, which I think a lot of the, the fan base would probably like to keep Jay because he's been instrumental in a lot of the, the play development program. Um, will any of them stick around? It's rare, generally, in the NBA for them to stick around. Normally, assistants will go and the head coach goes, but will they even stay and do the pre-draft workouts? work out some sort of interim arrangement. Normally that's something that, that could happen. Have you got any thoughts on the, the kind of assistant staff? Well, I'm, I wasn't sure. And that was something that I wondered too, but at the very bottom of the article that Rod Boone published, um, he said the new coach will also have to put together a staff and decide if they want to keep any of the current assistants. Those who worked under Borrego will remain on board until their fate is determined by the Hornets incoming hire, according to league sources. So Everybody but Borrego is staying in town right now. And I think that that's, it's probably for what you said, like pre-draft workouts, 
uh, like any player that's at the facility or still in the city or something that wants to go in and have a workout. Uh, I mean, I know like guys like Miles and Gordon Hayward like live and have houses like in that area and stuff. So I'm sure that they're not, you know, on vacation for four months consecutively. But and I think that makes sense too to have, you know, some sort of structure remaining for the players that are there, even though the the coach just got removed. And I can't imagine that it's going to be like too long before they make a, a hire like probably well the end of the th- playoffs th- or something like mid playoffs end of playoffs because it does it does depend on who they want because that yeah. i think that coach has to not be um with their team anymore like their playoff or team has to be eliminated to be able to hire them unless that they're going to yeah, just le- leave the bench in the middle of a playoff run which would be why would you do that if your team is like in the eastern conference finals or something like that um so we'll have to see, but uh, we'll, uh, you can give your, your last thoughts as well But before we move on to uh, potential. No, I, I was just going to say, I think that transition is really nice to the next Perfect. phase, which Perfect. is who are who are the options out there? What do we think they're looking for? And, and what you said there, I think the first question we have to ask is, well, you said you don't think it'll take too long, but surely the future of Mitch Kupchak needs to be yes. decided before any new head coach is chosen. Because if Kupchak is leaving this summer, you ideally want a new GM in place before you start picking a new head coach because you hear it time and time again, when a new GM comes in, they normally want their own guy. They, they don't like inheriting someone. So if Kupchak is staying, then he probably needs, we need to get confirmation of a contract extension. If he's going, we need to get confirmation that he's going into this advisory role. And then they probably need to recruit a GM first and then recruit a head coach, which does create risks because at times you can miss out on coaching candidates, you've got other vacancies out there at the moment um, who, who could potentially be in position to offer before Charlotte. So it, if, if, if Mitch Kupchak stands down, I think this could be, you get into that really horrible area of you, you don't want to lose out on people, but you're recruiting before you've got your GM in place. The GM doesn't know the organization. There's, there's, there's a lot of change. So it wouldn't shock me now that Borrego is gone. You hear Mitch Kupchak maybe doing one more year, but again, you don't want to just, have Kupchak hire someone and then step down next summer because you run into that issue again. So uh, I, I'm torn on on what I want to happen. I think Mitch has done a pretty good job and he's got a good grasp. And um, again, it, it depends who they want to get. But yeah, what are, what are your thoughts on Mitch Kupchak? Do, do you think they'll sort that out before making a coaching appointment? Honestly, I think that it's probably already been sorted out if they're you know, already making like hirings and firings and planning on bringing people in for interviews and stuff. Cause I don't think that he would have made uh, like if Rod, Rod reported that Mitch made the decision himself. And, and to be honest, I, I believe Rod's reporting on the Hornets much strong, more than I would believe like a national media outlets reporting on the Hornets because the national media rarely gets things right with the Hornets. They've been rumored to trade for Andre Drummond and Miles Turner and whoever for the last 24 years, and they haven't traded for either one of them. So, and got guys like Rod or uh, Rick Bunnell, rest in peace, had never said things like that. So like it, I, that, to me, I think that they're, the local reporting is much stronger. And if Mitch is the one that was making the decision, like, himself or like ultimately was the one that made the decision I think that he's probably going to stay and they've already probably determined that and I think if he is to leave I don't think they're going outside the organization for a hire as much as we would like to believe like I think they would just promote Buzz Peterson to to GM um, and then kind of just go with that uh, because they, they they've already got so much 
building like on court like it's not like they need to do an organizational teardown you know what i mean like they're they're a good team with lots of players to build around so it oh, wouldn't that makes be... me uncomfortable no it i know really uncomfortable no, it definitely <laughs> does but I, I think mitch is probably here for at least the next year or two if he's like making moves like this and um i don't know and and i think the i don't know what to believe anymore be. I, I don't i don't either I but, throw uh, my hands up like I, I thought there was no chance Brogan would be fired. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what to believe anymore with the, the kind of front office coaching situation. Um, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah. in terms of the next coach, I think this is probably borderline. I think it's hard most... to answer until they do a Woj tweet with a list of candidates like they it did is. for the Kings, but that we haven't gotten one of those yet. But the importance of this appointment cannot be understated. No, definitely not. The Mellow Ball has two It might more be years. the most important coaching hire in the history of the franchise. Correct. Because before, <laughs> you, you've got... You're not really going anywhere. Like, it's like, well, we want to get the best coach. Whereas now, this is the best position the Hornets... Have, it's the most uh, interesting job for any potential candidate in the history of the organization. Like, you're coming in with established good players, young players, draft picks, flexibility. Um, there's, there's a lot there that I think you'd like. Lamella Ball is two years left in his contract. So unless things go, like, if things go poorly with this next head coach, you're going to be here. That's because they're not winning games. That means when it comes to the extension talks, Lamella Ball is going to be maybe eyeing going elsewhere. Like, you're going to get that talk. It's going to happen from you're already they struggle next it. year. They already did an ESPN segment say, uh, where Jay Williams said, oh, he belongs in purple and gold. Oh, he belongs in purple and gold. Lakers, Lakers, Lakers. We all watch basketball so the Lakers can be good. I hate that yeah. stuff, but go ahead. Sorry. Then Miles Bridges is a free agent this offseason. They also like, he's not going to re-sign here if they bring in someone who he doesn't believe in as well. So I know he's restricted and they can force him back, but I just think this coach is so important to get right. Because if you get this wrong, all this positivity you've built in this Borrego era, it's just going to come crashing down again. And it's going to be like the end of the last cycle, which Borrego inherited, where you've got a, a capped out team with a bunch of guys who you just know are never going to quite get there for you. So it's Lamella Ball needs to ha- not have input, but Lamello is a unique character. Like I have, I struggle seeing Lamello, I don't know, really getting along with, certain types of coaches like um i don't think steve if he was drafted by steve clifford i think steve clifford would have lasted one season yeah or rick carlisle like notoriously hard on point guards yeah i think he needs someone who's got to like love him and embrace him for what he is someone who's not going to try and control him too much i think a a younger a younger coach is is likely and that borrego was young i think that's why they like got along well like they didn't They never were like art. Like it was never reported that they didn't like each other or anything. That was all just kind of like yeah. internet rumors and stuff. I also will say the immediate reaction here is everyone is going to go, well, before we hired a younger assistant coach, so now we need to hire an older, more experienced coach because we don't want what we don't want what we had before. That is a, just a complete false thought yeah. pattern. That I understand why people have it, but if you actually like look into how coaching works every single person is different whether they're first year coach whether they're a 25 year veteran like you can take examples of great first year coaches this year Emo Odoka with the Celtics Willie Green with the Pelicans Jenkins who started coaching with the Grizzlies you know really young guy a couple of years ago Nick Nurse who moved on to the Raptors like those guys are all 
appointed with very little experience and have all gone on to do really well. So just because you've had one youngish coach before who's come in and not done well, it doesn't mean that's necessarily going to happen again. Like, I can understand why people think it, but it's just going to be, it can be so different. You just need to have the right person um, who's going to come in and make that impact. Um, Like, so if you, whoever you do get, by the way, they're going to probably be less invested in Kai Jones, James Buck Knight and JT Thor's success than probably James Brager was. Like he no, was I, there. I, I love that you brought that up because that was something I thought. And the people that were happy about this, because the rookies are, are quote unquote going to play next year. Yeah. They are not thinking about this in the right light. Like that's not how that works. <laughs> like Borrego was in the room saying we should draft these people. A new head yes. coach come in. He's never seen either of them play any NBA minutes. So he's got nothing to go off like Thank realistic you. footage. He's only got G league footage. Um, he's not had any input. He could, you know, whatever, hate guards who turn the ball over loads, right? James Buck Knight, you're in trouble. Like, you yeah. know, it, it just, it just depends what you're bringing in. So for those thinking, great, we're going to free Kai Buck Thor. Like James Brego has been one of the best development coaches playing young players in the NBA for the last three or four the years. Third youngest team in the league last season. Like there was yeah. no young player to be freed like on this okay. team. So I'm, I'm not saying it won't happen. You might get someone in who has that similar philosophy, but we just can't guarantee that's the case yet. So I think that's another thing people need to remember. And I, I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up uh, in that light. And um, I'm, I, I'm really waiting for when we get um, like one of the Woj tweets where it gives off like a list of uh, assistants that the team has gotten permission to interview because I'll, I'll read off the ones for the Kings because uh, one, of the, one of these is kind of a funny um, a list here, but there's Mike Brown. Brooklyn consultant Steve Clifford is interviewing for the Kings job. And then Milwaukee's Darvin Ham and Charles Lee and Boston's Will Hardy. Darvin Ham has interviewed for a ton of head coaching jobs in the last, well, maybe not a ton. That's probably a stretch, but he has interviewed for head coaching jobs in the last couple of years. Uh, he's worked under Mike Budenholzer forever. Uh, he's well known as like a relationship builder. Like he gets along with his players really well and that gets them to buy into you know, the, the messages that he's sending as a coach and he's good. He's good at developing players, which, you know, those, those two things typically play into each other pretty well. Uh, I don't know much about Charles Lee, but then I know Will Hardy. Uh, he's like Ime Udoka. I believe he's his like second in command coach, um, like lead assistant right now. Him, he does the defense uh, with Ime. He's like a defensive minded coach. Um, he, obviously he's really young. I, I believe he's only 33. So he'd be the youngest coach in the league, but um He's, he, if you're a part of a, a defensive teams like Milwaukee and Boston, I mean, that's definitely a good thing. So because that's what the Hornets need. And if they are looking for someone who's kind of defense oriented uh, and then can also, you know, build a relationship with the guys in the locker room and get them to buy into a system that they enjoy playing and stuff like that, then I, I think that that will or they'll likely interview maybe those two candidates or both of those two candidates, but definitely guys that are like them. And I, and I think experience is a relative term too. I would say Darvin Ham is like an quote unquote experienced coach. He's been an assist, a, a high ranking assistant on a really good team that won a championship for years. And he worked for uh, Toronto and Atlanta as well, I believe. So he's been in really good organizations his whole career. He's just never been a head coach and you don't need to have already been a head coach to be a good one, which is what you just said with like Ime Udoka, Willie Green, guys like Taylor Jenkins, like one of their leading coach of the year candidates this year. Like we could, they could get a guy that's never been an assistant coach before or never been a head coach before that was only an assistant. And he's good right off of the bat. It just needs to be 
the right guy. And I, I think we're in agreement on that, that it doesn't really matter like age or like style or what they've done or reputation, like what they've done before, as long as it's just somebody that all of the player, not all of the players, but at least like your core players like, and is going to run offense and defense that they will enjoy playing and excel at hopefully anyway. Yeah. The one thing I will say about coaching searches and I've covered a lot of coaching searches for the Hornets. Like <laughs> yeah. We've had Paul Silas, Mike Dunlap, Sam Vincent, when they're back in the being the Bobcats, Larry Brown, Steve Clifford. Um, there's been, there's been a lot of coaches come through. The the more I learn about the NBA and the more experienced I get, the more I realize I don't know about coaching, especially yes. assistant coaches in the NBA. There it's, is, uh, yeah. It's so hard to attribute. Okay, the Celtics were great at that. Well, is it that per? Is it that coach's responsibility? Is it the players? Is it all of the coaches? Like, there's there's so many different variables. It's very very hard if you're not inside the know in the NBA. If you don't have those relationships, uh, to really get a good understanding. So that that's my first thing. Like, when I was younger, I used to be like, I want this coach. I'm desperate for him. And if it's not him. Oh, yeah. I'd be I'd be devastated that it's this random. When Steve Clifford got hired, Quinn Snyder was the other finalist, and I was desperate for Quinn Snyder. And Steve Clifford got hired, and I I didn't like it. I wanted the young, you know, Spurs tree guy who had all these amazing ideas. Steve Clifford was like old school assistant coach, uh, and he'd just been the, an assistant for the Lakers, who'd absolutely sucked. Obviously, Quinn Snyder probably would have been a good hire. We think you never know how it plays out, but he's obviously doing really well with Utah broadly. Um, but now I just kind of throw my hands up and I'm like, I don't really know. Like, I can tell you different things about coaches and their experiences, but there's a lot of people who people thought were going to be great coaches and they weren't. And there's a bunch of people who people had no idea would be good coaches and they've ended up being Hall of Famers. Um, the place I normally go, and it's interesting because one of the names you mentioned is on here, is if you remember at the start of each season, they do a, a GM survey. And one of the questions in the GM survey is who is the best assistant coach in the NBA? That's always one of the questions for this year. Leading the results was Kenny Atkinson and Darvin Ham. Yep. The guy you said, Kenny Atkinson, former Nets coach, uh, currently head associate head coach, I think with Golden State, they both had 17% of the vote. You then had Scott Brooks in Portland, David Vantipool in Brooklyn. Then you had Nate Tibbetts in Orlando. And then you had other guys kind of receiving votes. The one thing I will say with this award is quite spread around. Mark Bryant, Sam Cassell, Mike D'Antoni, Alex Jensen, Jay Laranega, Charles Lee, who you mentioned, Mike Lombardi, John Lucas, Lloyd Pierce, Damon Stoudemire, Jacques Vaughn. So there's a lot of names out there. Like even NBA GMs who fill out the survey are throwing around like a really broad scope. There's lots of great coaches in the NBA. They were all fantastic history behind them uh picking the right one is is a very important decision but it's also a difficult one um so you mentioned about darvin ham um is, is there anyone else who you kind of seen thrown around who's really stood out for you uh, i liked um the two that you tweeted out which was jay laranega and quinn snyder i think both of them make sense especially if the utah season 
doesn't go well here and um we're uh we'll be uh at the at the salt lake city live for here a second because that game yesterday when rudy and donovan mitchell completed yep. that lob to each other i watched it they, they went from rebuilding their team to potentially getting into the second round in the span of like maybe 30 seconds uh like real time which was so funny to me because when, when they were down four with 39 seconds left i think it was i was thinking like this might be it like if, if yeah. they go down three one lose this series four one Snyder's gone. One of uh, probably Rudy Gobert is getting traded. And I was like, maybe Quinn Snyder is a candidate for the opening in Charlotte uh, if this happens. But they won the game and now it's two to two. Uh, if, and if they win, like maybe none of them are gone. So like, if they if they win the series in advance. So who knows with that? Um, that that one will definitely be an interesting thought, one to play out, because I feel like if he ends up getting let go, he's going to be a leading candidate for any other opening. The Lakers um, are reportedly eyeing yeah. up Quinn Snyder, and I bet as, you the as, Kings put in permission to interview him or, or request to interview him yeah. if he like gets like of Utah as well. And as, um, you you can make all fun of LA Lakers and they're old; they haven't got any assets and everything. But I'd still probably say coaching LeBron James and Anthony Davis is a better job and being in LA than Charlotte right now. <laughs> I, like, yeah, it, that's that's it just, it's it hard just to is. argue. Yeah. If you're if you're an NBA nerd and you look at like where each team is and like the next four years, you could probably make an argument actually Charlotte's in a better spot. But coaches aren't always thinking about like, oh well four or five years from now, like they're thinking about well what about next year and the year after right. that. So um yeah if Quinn Snyder became available Definitely of interest. Jay Laranega, though, for me, I think a lot of the time when you find out people get hired is a lot of teams have interviewed that coach before, before they've got hired, and they maybe felt it was just a little bit too early. It wasn't right. Jay Laranega, currently assistant on the Clippers, who were probably one of the best defenses for a very undermanned team this year, was Ty Lue's top assistant. Um, that was after he moved from being in Boston, where he's Brad Stevens, essentially top assistant there, where they had a great defense in Boston. Like, if you tracked defensive ratings for coaches kind of for their teams over the last five years, I'd say Jay Laranega is probably right yeah. up there in terms of his record between Boston and LA. Um, his and his he, nickname he, when he was a coach with the Boston was uh, the smart whisperer was because he was like, he de- was helped one that one of the coaches that helped develop Marcus smart into the defensive player that he is. And they had like a really good relationship when he was in Boston and stuff. And uh, his, his dad's the head coach at Miami too. So it's not like there's not, not pedigree in there too. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he interviewed for the role last time with James Brager. They were the last two finalists mm-hmm. for the role and they appointed Brager. What the team is looking for now might be different at the time. It was very much a rebuilding job. That's probably what they were selling it as. Now it's not, it's a winning job. And does their kind of pool of candidates, do they view Laranega as a rebuilding coach? I, I don't think so. I didn't, I didn't see why that would fit with him. Like he's always been part of rebuilding teams. He's been key part of defenses on these teams and as we talked about your ability to have a good defense is one of the contributing factors for this and and the other thing is that player relationship because it does appear that Borrego is afraid that um I, I don't know too much more about Jay Laranega like you said a great relationship with Marcus Spark that's that's a good start but the other thing I want to say about Laranega actually got G League experience as head coach of Boston's G League team for two years which this is, I don't know if they're in Maine at the time. It might have been, or they might have been the Red Claws at the time. Yeah, I didn't even yeah know. they were, yeah. Um, so he's got G League experience, which is important because I think even though Borrego is gone, I definitely think the organization are going to be putting this added importance on the G League still. I definitely still think play development, there's a lot of young players on the roster. It's going to be key to the, the kind of future of this team. So 
Laranagas, a guy. I want to throw out another Clippers assistant who I've not seen anyone mention yet. Brian Shaw, hmm. former former Lakers assistant. You know who's going to know him really well? Mitch Kupchak. M- Mitch Kupchak might have even fired Brian Shaw. Now I've come to think of it, once or maybe uh, twice. You, I mean, he. Yeah, I think you might be well, right. I'll, I'll look into that he while might, we go. Or, but... or he might have been the GM while he was playing. I think because. Uh, was he the GM for the Shaq and Kobe teams for the Lakers? I don't, we probably should know this before we talk about it, but uh, he was. He was. Yeah. yeah then, he, then, he was, then I think Brian. I think Brian Shaw played on those teams too. So. Yeah. So Brian Shaw, um, he played between '99 to 2003 when Mitch Shaw was GM, and then he was the Lakers assistant from 2005 to 2011, and then he was the associate head coach from 2016 to 2019. So that was some significant overlap there. Brian Shaw, essentially, after uh, mo- moving from being the Lakers assistant uh, associate head coach, became the G League Ignite head coach last season. So uh, definitely got some kind of different style of head coaching experience. But again, very much in the realm of play development. Uh, will have had his eye on high school, G League. Um, so again, if we're wanting to kind of bring on someone who's got coaching pedigree, head coach experience, but also as an eye on developing talent, he could be a good mix as well. Um, so that's someone I've not seen anyone mention yet, but Brian Shaw definitely would tick some boxes. Uh, and a couple more guys that I think, um, not that I think that they're like, or know a ton about them or think that they're likely to be interviewed or something is, is Damon Stoudemire. He's also an assistant with Boston. You mentioned him on the uh, best assistant coaches survey list. Uh, he was the head coach of Pacific University. He won the coach of the year in the West Coast Conference, which is what Gonzaga plays in. Anytime a coach that isn't Mark Few wins coach of the year in the West Coast Conference, you've done a good job because Gonzaga wins 25 games every single year. And it's hard not to be the coach of the year when you do that every time. So he's obviously like he, he's he knows what he's doing when he's the head of a program uh, and he's he can be an assistant as well. Uh, and if, if this is sort of a job that, they're going to market as, yeah, this is a winning job, but you still need to develop our young players, which I can imagine that they would be doing because they still have a young roster. I think he'd be a good fit for that. Uh, and he's a, he's a former player. He played for the Trailblazers for a while. Um, he just It just seems like he'd be a good candidate. And then there's also uh, a lot of people in the comments on Jack Simone's article on At The Hive Live uh, giving a short list of candidates brought this up was Jerry Stackhouse. And I didn't think of that at all. Um, he has coached in the G League before. He coaches at Vanderbilt right now. Vanderbilt hasn't been particularly successful under uh, his leadership, but they have gotten they've gotten some good recruits, uh, and they're not like a horrible team. So, and if if he's looking to make the jump back to the NBA and doesn't think college is working out for him so far, then I, I could see that one as well. He's also a UNC guy, so there, there's that connection between Jordan Kupchak and and Stackhouse. So you you got anybody else that that we should think about here? I've got probably. I'd say maybe the most obvious candidate, which I don't think we've even mentioned his name yet, which if you want to improve a team's defense, Frank Vogel. Okay. That's, yeah, been, that's, yeah, that's a good you one. Know, I, five I, I, Lakers, I legitimately have not thought about that at all. And I don't know why, but yeah, you're, you're right. That is a good one. Frank Vogel, five from the Lakers. I think there was a lot there that probably wasn't his fault. There had to be a full guy. He was it. I don't know so, if he was uh, too upset about necessarily not no, coaching that team. I, I don't think he was relishing having Russell Westbrook on the team again right, next year for right. 46 million or whatever it is. Um, Frank Vogel, 
known to be like he had essentially one really poor time in Orlando, but before that was in Indiana, coached elite defensive teams there. The Lakers were an elite defensive team when they won their title and they made a number of strange roster moves. But like you talk about managing relationships well, he was just on a team like Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony. Like he has completely been working with some big personalities. And after he left, I think a lot of the Lakers players, unlike Borrego, a lot of the Lakers players actually said, I think even I saw Malik Monk giving positive comments, being like he was consistent day in day out he dealt with all sorts of crap from the media um and he was just like goal was to put us in position to win and succeed every single day and like i respect him um there was a lot of kind of positivity from some of the players around vogel so i think like he's out of a job right now um you could argue that he is straightforward you want someone to fix the defense you want someone with championships head coaching experience frank vogel is sitting right there um, how do I feel about it? Like, I, I, I completely understand if they decided to appoint him. Um, he's not necessarily the most modern coach in his approach, especially in offense. But the flip version is when you've got the mellow ball, like you can kind of just give him the ball and, and go. Like, that's one thing I think could be really interesting. If if they want to keep going with a Borrego style, where it's like everyone passes the ball, moves like most passes in the NBA, or... Do they go, actually, we're going to have LaMelo and we're going to surround him with great defensive players and it's going to be more kind of like put the ball in his hands and he makes he is at the hub of everything. A little bit like Luca in Dallas. I, like Melo doesn't have the ISO scoring knack just for that yet, but um, I, I do wonder if they kind of go more ball dominant, put the ball in Miles, LaMelo's hands, no one else really touches the ball. You just catch and shoot or you, you pass it on. Like, so... That's interesting if they want to change that identity a little bit more and become a little bit more star focused and not team focused. That would be really interesting. And that would, that I think would require some roster man or maneuvering too. I, I don't think you could roll with pretty yeah. much the same team into the next year if you're planning on doing that type of thing as well. So that, that, I mean, that would definitely be really interesting. And that, that I think is another reason why I know it's probably not going to happen ultra quickly but why i think it will get over with sooner than later uh like before the draft and stuff is so they can they know what style like what uh, objectives they're trying to uh complete before they put the roster together and put a team on the court for a training camp next year i think it'd just be easier to get like those ideas and stuff in house sooner than later and you can flush them out and talk about them and all that kind of stuff and you can do the draft workouts together plan for free agency and trades and all that so Summer League I, I, could I be think, interesting. Yeah, it will. I, I wonder if the head coach might want to be at Summer League, especially with yeah. like Buck Knight, Thor, Jones, Scott Lewis, Kolboka, whoever they maybe draft this year. Like quite a big proportion of the team. Um, Nick Richards might even go again. Wouldn't shock me um, if he's still on the roster. Um, like a lot of the time, new head coaches like to go there because they start to build that culture and they'll get to know some of the young players. And there's a lot of them in this Hornets team are going to be on the roster next year. So that that will be interesting as well if they choose to, to attend that. All right. Are there any um, coaching, former coaches, coaching candidates that you are just like completely turned off by? Because I have two that will make me really sad. But other than that, I think uh, I'll, I'll reserve judgment at least until they coach like half a season or something, or, or it'll just be somebody that I like right off the bat. But I, I, ha- I know my two and they're very, very, very clear. And after that, I don't care, but 
Uh, if, well, you, you, you go first. I've okay. I've got an idea. I've I've got an idea in my head. But if you're if you're locked and loaded, ready to go, fire them out then. Okay. One one is Mark Jackson. Two, Mike D'Antoni. I ni- neither of them make make a lick of sense to me. Like in in any Mike D'Antoni, obviously the offense would be a good idea. Um, but he's just not. The, he's seventy years old for one. Uh, so he's, I can't imagine that he's going to be around for very long for a team that is, you know, trying to build something and move forward into the future with a stable core and be the defense is going to be worse than it was this year. Uh, if anything, so that, that wouldn't be good. Uh, Mark Jackson is just not a guy, uh, with his, like, I don't I don't know how to phrase this delicately with his, uh, some of his beliefs, I, I should say, don't, don't fit in a modern professional sports locker room. Um, I, I'm not going to delve into them personally. You can, you know, do your Googles and find that information out if you, if you so choose, but if you don't want to take my word for it, uh, it's, it's well documented on the internet. So though, those are, those are the two guys that I would, uh, just kind of steer clear from if I was in charge, but is there anything else uh, or anybody else for you? Yeah, mine's more of a prototype, which is kind of what we touched on earlier. Is like the old school, the old school basketball mind. So like Jeff and Stan Van Gundy, who like Jeff especially seems went through a period of being linked with every job, kind of every other year. Like I, I don't think Terry Stotts isn't as old school as them, but again, has not been a good defensive coach. I, I just don't know if I want to bring in. I think he's like a similar style coach to James Borrego. Um, yeah with his ability to kind of get the most out of your team offensively. I think those are kind of the, the what I'm thinking. I, I definitely think they want someone with playoff experience. I think that's going to be either as a, ideally as a head coach, they want that because that's where they see this team going. And I, that's why someone like the assistants who I mentioned before, like Larry Nagas, never being a head coach, at least Brian Shaw has had that. Um, Frank Vogel has had that. So I think we'll be able to tell from whenever we get that, hopefully that shortlist from Woj or whoever it is, what sort of guy they're looking for. But I imagine playoff experience, a guy who is used to coaching in the playoffs is, is at the top of their list. A final thought really in terms of, well, there's two things I want to touch on. One, okay. if you were GM, Chase, would you have fired James Brager? Uh Probably not. Probably not. I think I would have done uh, what you've highlighted before is just kind of wait and see what happens this off season. And then if it doesn't work out kind of by like the deadline or the all-star break or something next year, then maybe you move on, put an interim coach in, in charge and see how that goes for the rest of the year. Uh, but I, I don't know if I would have done it right now, but I, I also can't say that I'm like opposed to it. Uh, I, I like, I was, I was pretty surprised by it when it happened, but I wasn't, um, like angry or like taken aback or like, Oh, this is, I, I completely disagree with this or something. You know, I was just kind of like, I was just very moved by it. I didn't, I just didn't expect it at all. I think you're, I think you might be muted. We're on the same wavelength there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I was the same. I was completely shocked, but I wasn't like, what are we doing? There's a few people out there. Like I think, uh, will police um, maybe will, I don't want to shout out someone's name if I'm not sure, but there's a few people out there who are quite against this move. Um, I wouldn't have done it. I would have been the same as you. I would have rolled over. I would have said, Brago, I'm giving you a cent to this off season. Like you got to pull something together. And if you're not, you're out. Like I wouldn't have been as blunt as that, but that would be my thought process. Like I want to give you no more excuses because you've done some really good stuff, 
I want to give you every opportunity. And I don't feel the Hornets gave Borrego every opportunity to kind of prove himself. Um, but interesting to kind of, I just, the last thing I want to do is just compare it to some other coaches out there um, who were let go. So most notoriously, Dwayne Casey was, was fired from Toronto after winning coach of the year, coming off a 59-23 record. He'd set record franchise wins for four of the five years he was head coach. But importantly, he had not had postseason success. And that's why Ujuri moved him on. They hired Nick Nurse. Mm -hmm. That's worked out pretty well. Like everyone was up in arms over that, probably more so than the Borrego one. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's worked out well. A couple of other kind of similar scenarios. Brett Brown with Philly, very much bought in for rebuilding. They gave him three playoffs where he was essentially in charge of that team and did, did, underperformed essentially in two of those playoff years, was went out when they, they shouldn't really have gone done so. The, the last second Toronto shot was tough, but they replaced him with Doc Rivers, you know, another very experienced, well-known coach. Whether that's going to be good or not, still to be decided, but they gave him a couple of playoffs, but he was a rebuilding coach. That's what he was there for. Kenny Atkinson with the Nets did a great job rebuilding undrafted free agents, turning guys off the scrap heap into players. Durant Kyrie came. He was ousted 28-34 mid-season. Steve Nash appointed after Jacques Vormers was interim head coach. Mike Malone with the Kings got off to a 5-1 start in 2014. Cousins got meningitis. They were 11-13. They fired him, appointed Ty Corbin, who lasted barely any time at all, and he also got fired, I think, within the same season. You can see similar examples here of coaches who were bought in to rebuild and then have been let go at different periods. Some have got player for opportunities, like Brett Brown, like Dwayne Casey. Some haven't, like Kenny Atkinson, Mike Malone. There's been a range of success with each of those guys. Casey's gone to Detroit and fine. Brett Brown hasn't got another head coaching job. Atkinson, one of the top assistants, but more of a player development guy. Mike Malone, now coaching the MVP in the Denver Nuggets and has turned out to be a good head coach. They've made this move earlier, I think, than all of these, other than probably even Dwayne Casey got playoff series, but they've jumped the gun early. They are banking that Borrego was a rebuilding coach. That's what he was there for. They have now moving on to a new phase in this Hornets rebuild where they are going to compete. And they don't think Borrego is the man for that. And we've seen other teams make similar moves. Some have worked out well, like Nick Nurse. Some have not worked out well, like Ty Corbin. We just, we just don't know how it's going to be, but we can see the thought process, which is there. All right. I think that's a perfect point to wrap it up on because I completely agree with everything you just said. So thank you so much to the listeners for joining us for this emergency add-on episode for At The Hive Live. I think we'll end up just releasing this as a full episode instead of just putting it as the intro to our season finale. Uh, so stay tuned for that episode because James and I had a lot of fun making that. It's a kind of our send off episode for at the hive live before he goes to sports illustrated. Uh, but we just had to come on and talk about the coach firing because what kind of end of the year podcast would it be if we didn't address the most important thing that happened to the team uh, at the end of the year. So Thank you guys for staying tuned. We'll see you guys on the next episode. And again, thank you for supporting At The Hive Live for the last couple of years. We'll see you soon.